0: wasn't sure if uh, that was it or not, so forgive me for being a little late. coming. Uh, Craig, it's wonderful to have you back. Boy, it's, we missed you when you are gone. Thank you for coming back. And uh, Brian, w- would you come here just a minute? J- just a minute. Uh, boy, I respect this man and love this man so much. I'm sorry I said that about your but, <laughs> but it's his birthday. <laughs> I think we should sing happy birthday to him. <laughs> don't don't you? Sing. Let's do it. Happy birthday. To you. I know where you Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. They love you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Uh, uh, he said, I know where you live. <laughs> it's like a threat. <laughs> uh, awesome. You know, uh, we live across the street from uh, Mario and Chris and across the street from uh, Barry and Bobby Joe Bundy. What a great neighborhood we have. Uh, they, are, they are good people, hospitable uh, Kind, loving. I've had to call the police a couple of times, but, but it's, it's, other than that, it's been a good experience. So, of course, I'm kidding. So, uh, this summer series is about prophets, rulers, patriarchs, and a thief. Uh, Old Testament characters that made their mark. And I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah number. Six, Isaiah 6. Now, I think a disclaimer might be helpful. On February the 24th, I talked about this passage and others in a different, uh, in a different light. Uh, we were looking at the attributes of God, and I was talking about um, the holiness of God. But today, uh, I cannot... Uh, talk about Isaiah without coming back to this this passage, because this is central in the beginning of his ministry as a prophet uh, Last week, we talked about uh, Isaiah, uh, excuse me uh, uh, Elijah uh, and uh, the greatest miracle worker in the old testament with god 's power of course, and then today we are talking about. I think the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah. He's mentioned 55 times, quoted 55 times in the New Testament, more than any other prophet. All right. Being a prophet was a difficult and a thankless task. Uh, And nobody illustrates that better than the prophet Isaiah. Now in some ways, Isaiah was different than the rest of the prophets. He was different in that he was he was a blue blood. His his family uh, was highly placed, influential, and affluent. He had what's obviously a great education. He was a gifted writer, and uh, these characteristics are different than. The other other prophets. His dad's name was Amos, and besides that, I don't know anything about him. And uh, he was married, uh, and he, the Bible doesn't give us his name, uh, her name, but says that she was a prophetess, and they had two children. Uh, Isaiah's uh, focus. Uh, he, he lived in Jerusalem, and not only spoke to the people in Jerusalem, but all of Judea. Uh, some people are called by God to serve in obscure places. I can remember Marcia and I driving through uh, Oklahoma and and driving through some some little tiny towns, backwater towns, and we'd go drive by a First Baptist church and uh, just talk about the kind of people called to serve in that setting and uh, how how wonderful it was and how faithful they were in serving that flock. But that wasn't Isaiah. I mean, today we would say Isaiah was the pastor of a megachurch in an affluent town. He was in that kind of situation. Now that brings us to the beginning of his ministry, Isaiah 6, and these words I hope are familiar to us. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah recorded the date, the year, in the year that King Uzziah died. You know, we do that. Important things in our lives, important events in, in our lives. We just remember those dates. I remember 1985. My mother died in 1985. Don't forget that date. Uh, I remember 1970, the year Marcia and I married, and 1976, 80 and 83, when our sons were born. I remember those dates. 1974, when I was ordained to the ministry. I, I mean, you just... You have these important dates that were transformative in your life. And this date, uh, this year, the year King Uzziah died, was transformative to him. Now, why was it so important anyway? Well, Uzziah was a, a good king most of his life. And he reigned for 52 years. 52! 52! Uh, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson was president of the United States in, ni- uh, in 1967. Th- that's how long. Nine presidents have come and gone, or one's come, uh, and the rest have come and gone in that period of time. I mean, imagine if we had one president for all those years. And imagine that these were years of peace and prosperity. Uh, that's what they had. And so they become very dependent on him. Uh, He led well for decades, but unfortunately, later in his life, he became arrogant and proud, and he entered the temple, and he did what only the priests are allowed to do. This was an abomination to God. It was uh, disrespectful to God. And as as a result of that, uh, Uzziah was given leprosy. And he had that until he died. Now, it's important for us to remember, I think, this basic principle. And that is, uh, the people depended on, they were devoted to a man. And our dependence and our devotion is to be to God himself. We are respecting people who lead us. But our dependence and our devotion belongs to God. Well, now Uzziah was gone. Imagine the impact that had on Judea. It was it was, the people were terrified. I mean, they had no basis of understanding where they were going or who was gonna lead them because of their dependence. And uh, during this time, they turned to God. During this time, especially, Isaiah turned to God. I call this the blessing of insecurity. The blessing of insecurity. When things happen in our lives and th- th- they're, we're disrupted and we become insecure. You see, we have the illusion right now of control. That we have an illusion of security we don't have it, but we feel like we do sometimes. But when that leaves us because of an illness or a family problem or a work problem or whatever it might be, uh, that insecurity has a way of driving us to God. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, Let that happen in your life when it happens. And that's what happened with Isaiah, Look at verse 1 again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. High and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood, uh, that word stood gives us the idea, was placed, uh, the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one of them called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Uh, That means the Lord that commands the the great powers of heaven. Uh, The whole earth is filled with his glory. That's, they're saying that to one another. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold of the temple that they were in shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Uh, the Shekinah glory of God is sometimes referred to as that. So the Shekinah glory of God has now fallen upon this place, where was he? Well, we don't know. He may have been in the temple, uh, uh, or, or this just may have been a vision. Uh, I I don't know which it, which it was. But the issue here is Isaiah is given a glimpse of something that God is, and that is that God is holy. Now he describes. Uh, certain attributes about God, and I think I'd be remiss not to point them out. First of all, he says, uh, calls him Lord. G- God is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And this word for Lord means is Adonai, and Adonai uh, gives us the idea of the majestic ruler He's seeing God as the majestic ruler that he is. And God is sitting upon the throne, giving us the, the view of the sovereignty of God. God is in charge of everything. Everything in this world and in heaven and wherever else there might be. He is high and lifted up. And, and that gives us the idea of the preeminence of the Lord, He is high and He's lifted up. He's first, preeminent above everything. No one is above Him, beside Him, in authority or power at all. And then finally, the train of His robe filled the temple. Uh, some say this has to do with the omnipresence of God, and some say this has to do with the significance of. Who he is. I I don't know which that is. But the train of his robe filled the temple. And now, the Lord wasn't the only one there. There were also seraphim that Isaiah's seeing. Look at it from Isaiah's side now. Uh, He sees the seraphim there. What's a seraph, anyway? Well, the word seraph means fiery serpent. That's what they seem to him to be. Fiery serpent. Uh, powerful overwhelming creatures uh, from heaven itself and so they're they fierce creatures they are uh, by God and they have six wings and with these wings they would cover their face and that covering of the face shows their reverence before God and they would cover their feet with two wings, showing their humility in the presence of the Almighty God. And then with two they flew, attending to God Himself. And notice what one said to the other. He, one said, holy, holy, holy. They're looking upon God, and what do they see? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth, he says, is filled with His glory holy 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 when uh, in Hebrew, uh, a superlative is uh, a word that is repeated three times, and so what the Lord is saying here is that that it, what we 're being told here is that the seraphs are recognizing that God is ultimately holy, holier than anything, and anyone. Pure holiness, which shows us uh, not only the morality of God, but the purity of God as well. God is pure. He is moral. Uh, And that holiness touches everything about his relationship with us. Now, let's go on and, and look at Isaiah. And I said, after seeing this display... And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. Verse number five. Woe is me, for I am lost. Uh, This week I had time to look at the word lost. And you know, more than anything else, it gives us the idea of depravity. Uh, uh, Depravity means... uh, being thoroughly sinful, uh, not good, but instead thoroughly sinful. He said, in, in looking at the, the mighty hand of God, uh, he's saying, I am lost. And you know, that's all, what all of us are. Before we come to the Lord, we're all absolutely lost, without hope and he says for I am a man of unclean lips. This is confession of sin. This is what repentance looks like. It's specific. He says, "I am a man of unclean lips." Why did he why was he talking about his words anyway? It's because your words reveal your heart. What's inside of you comes out of you in your words. The conversation that you have shows what's on the inside of your of your heart, uh, how you really think, what you really are, and, and so he's rep- repenting of of the words that he says because it reveals the corruption that is in his life. And I dwell in the midst of. People with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In other words, God is holy, and I am not. If I'm going to have any kind of relationship with him, then I have to recognize that and ask him for forgiveness. Going on in Isaiah six six, Isaiah six six says, "Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that had uh, that he had taken with tongue from the altar. What's this altar? Well, the altar is the place where the sacrifices are made." for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus paid the price by being the ultimate sacrifice for us. But uh, this is in the Old Testament. And so the altar is the place where there is sacrifice for sin. Uh, One of the seraphim flew to the altar and took with the tongs a burning coal. And... He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. I think that uh, all commentators would say, this is a metaphor. This is an illustration for what happened. It's showing the goodness of God to eradicate sin for those who have repented. Salvation has to do with two things, repentance and faith. I turn my back from what I was, and I turn toward the Lord in faith to save me, forgive me, and to lead me. And this is what Isaiah has done. And so, he is absolutely, objectively, totally forgiven. Now, After a person has come to Christ, we have a tendency to say, well, you're saved now. And, you know, God's God's not done with you, still with you. But the the mighty work that God's doing in your life is done because you are saved. And that's totally a misunderstanding. Look at verse number 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send? And who will go for us?" And then I said, "Here am I, send me." Uh, the "us" is, of course, that part of the sentence. It's often talked about. Is this the Trinity? Uh, is this something else? I think it's the Trinity. But uh, uh, you know, whether it is or whether it isn't, God Himself, all that is God, says. Who will I send and who's going to go on mission to serve us, God? And what did he say? Well, here am I. Send me. Now, folks, every Christian is called to full-time ministry. Did you know that? Every single one of us is it, you have been called as much as I have to full-time ministry. Now maybe not vocationally, but in the totality of your daily life, you are a minister to those who are around you. God has called you into the ministry. And that's what's happening to Isaiah here. It's this radical change that's brought about by salvation and the heart that's now ready to serve the Lord. And verse number nine says, and this is God saying, now this is what you're going to do. Here's your assignment in life. You want to serve me? This is the way you're going to do it. And he said, Go to the people and say, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then... Isaiah said, I think this is a classic question. Well, how long do I have to do this? (laughs) And he says, how long, O Lord? And God's response is, until cities lie waste without habitation and houses without people and the land desolate waste. And the Lord removes the people far away. The forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And that's exactly what happened when the southern kingdom fell to the Babylonians in 556 B.C. This is a shocking statement. It would be for anybody. Isaiah hears, go and tell these people that God's judgment has come. His ministry is going to produce hardened hearts and no repentance. I don't know if I'm made of this stuff that could deal with that. Uh, But God would give him grace. God would give him grace to do it. The people had rejected God too many times. And now judgment had come, you see. Judgment had come. The, The opportunity had closed. And Isaiah's work would be announcing the judgment of God to the people. And he did. We don't know how he died We don't really know how many years he lived, but we do know because we have the book that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We do know that he spent his life announcing what the people had missed. One of the main things In fact, the heart of Isaiah's preaching was about Jesus. He preached Jesus over and over and over again. Nine times are recorded for us in his book, and who knows how many more times he did. He preached Christ, Christ crucified. And my dear friends, that's the message of the church today, We have plenty of things to do and say, but the message of the church is there's one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus. And it will be through repentance and faith that you can come to him and be forgiven. Another thing that we see in his preaching is that self-sufficiency brings consequences, serious consequences. We have a a tendency to trust ourselves more than we trust God. I mean, we have to be in a situation where we have exhausted our options, many of us, before we turn to God and say, I need your help. Rather than every day submitting to him these people were self-sufficient, and the consequences, severe. Why would we think that we deserve anything less? Another thing we can see here is that in spite of disappointments day after day after day, Isaiah never gave up. He never ever gave up. It doesn't matter if God answered your prayer the way you want it. It doesn't matter if you have faced difficult times. It does not matter if you have been rejected by family our friends, don't give up. Keep on trusting God no matter what and you will see his faithfulness. Then finally, I'm going to use a a word here that uh, that is defined incorrectly in our society. Uh, Faithfulness is more important than success. Success. What does it mean to succeed? What this passage is saying to Isaiah is you want to see grandiose things happen in your ministry. But understand, faithfulness is what it's all about. You know, that's true, church, for the corporate body here. Faithfulness to God is your task, is your calling. No matter how many people come, no, no matter what accolades the church might receive, You don't judge the church by anything else other than your faithfulness to Jesus and to doing what he calls you to do. Faithfulness. And faithfulness is what God asks from you in no matter what circumstances you may be in. Faithfulness will bring reward. Let me pray for you. Lord, we are so grateful for a quick look at a most marvelous life. We ask, God, that you might bless this dear man, his memory to us, and, Father, that we might be inspired by the kind of person that he exemplifies for us. Father, we pray for those who haven't yet come to Christ, in faith that before it's too late they may come and Father also we pray that you might help us to be faithful in the circumstance that we are in now in Jesus name we pray Amen